everybody, and welcome to the Guinness World Record holding Fondazi Fire. That's right, everybody. This is Fondazi Fire, and this is the podcast where we ask the question, what do you want? Now, normally the answer would be more fire, but tonight, tonight is a very special night where we will be having spooky stories. I am your host, Adam the Rambaro Soko, and with me as always is my lovely and beautiful wife, Katie Mighty Mouse Matryoshka. Hello. And joining us tonight, we have our wonderful producer, Teresa, and her husband, Chris. <laughs> and then we have Alan and Kristen. And later on in the episode, we'll have a very special guest. <laughs> Has anybody used the tarot reader that is just across from Bear Stage? No, I'm afraid of knowing the future. <laughs> Tony. Yes, Tarot's by Tony, just across from the Bear stage. Katie and I have gone to Tony for quite a number of years, and she has been eerily accurate. And one of the spookier things that she told us is that there is some sort of unhappy, call it a spirit, call it a memory something very unhappy in the basement of our house. And now this was especially true when we had just bought our house. There was a mother-in-law suite down in the basement. And what it, what that meant was that if you went down the stairs, you ran into a wall and you had to take either a left or a right. Right, you went into a living room. Left, you went into a mud room that went into the mother-in-law suite. And I can tell you, every single time that I ever went into that mother-in-law suite, especially all the way back to the rear bedroom like you are separated from the rest of the house and it is very very creepy it was hard to do any work to remodel it down there yeah it it was the kids had quite a while before they'd actually go down there um we never used the basement living room because that feeling of just not terror but not being alone in that room was present all the time so, yeah, Tony picked up on that during one of the tarot readings, and it was either sell the house or remodel the basement. So complete remodel happened. Yeah, she said we had to make it our own yep. and let this spirit know that this was ours now. And we had we had we staged it. We had missionaries come and bless it. We, <laughs> we had used every like, religion you could imagine. Hey, come over <laughs> here and give some good vibes to this basement because yeah. it was serious. I am a grown a man. And that room in the house was just eerie. It was so off-putting to be down there. It's fine now. Yeah. Same room, except now it's connected with a hallway. It is very important that if any of you guys talk about how brave you are, you have to include that you're a grown man, how tall you are, and what your weight is. <laughs> and how much you can bench press. So that people squat. understand <laughs> there's no way you should be afraid. That's right. This, this room, though, that that it's in or that this entity was really put um, is now like our favorite room in the house because it has all of our gym equipment in it, our squat rack and our Olympic bar. And yeah. And bench. now there's <laughs> absolutely nothing down there. You can hang out down there all day long and there's no icky feeling. But 
yeah, for so many years, it was like we owned half the house and they owned half the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wonder every once in a while um, the terror that went down there because our neighbors, I think it was about after two years after we were living here, the one neighbor was like, we absolutely love you. There's no screaming. There's no police being called. There's no people coming and going all hours of the night. And I was like, oh, that, that was happening before? No yeah. clue what happened in this house. Yeah, but that's a lot of energy put into a place. Mm-hmm. Well, now when you move out, the people that go in that room are just going to be intimidated and want to pick things up. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Yep. I really want to crush this. <laughs> <laughs> when it, we first moved into our first house, it, it was built, the house was built in 1921. So uh, it was very old and had lots of history, but the history was short with the number of people who lived there. There was a woman who, w- right before we moved in, there was one couple who had lived there for about six months and left. Um, we didn't know why, uh, but before that, a single woman had lived there. She had born in that house, lived their entire life and died in that house. Um, and uh, I can't recall how old she was, but she was pretty venerable at the time. Uh, I had never had any problem with this house. It was clearly needed to be updated in many ways, but my wife, she had all kinds of bad issues with the house, especially going downstairs. So uh, there was a canning room in the basement uh, and a little tiny room next to the next to where the stairs came in, a little tiny room like three feet wide by six feet deep and a little door on it. And I never had any problem, but my wife will not go into that room and never will because for some reason when she would go in that room the door behind her would slam every time and it would not do it for anyone else and she to this day refuses refuses to go into this canning room and i i I, for 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 months i was like you're you're crazy i you know you're i mean what kind of craziness is that until it was just about a year after we had been in that house almost a year to the date and I was upstairs with my dogs, and suddenly I heard in the basement the door, which was always closed, suddenly slammed. And I was like, what the heck? And my dogs jumped off my lap, and they ran downstairs. And I thought, you know, maybe my wife got home, and I went down there, and nobody was there. So that was the first time I, I realized maybe I was being too harsh on my wife, because that, uh, that was kind of a weird story. <laughs> uh, never anything, never anything uh malignant beyond beyond that but it was really weird that she would walk in that room to clean it or do whatever because it was just a storage room and without almost uh without exception the door would suddenly slam but it wouldn't slam for anybody else just for her it was weird i can't blame her for not going down there i wouldn't nope. be going down there either <laughs> i don't think i would she, be going anywhere near there she I'd may know she made me go in that if she had to go in there for any reason i had to go or if she had to find something, I had to stand in the door and uh, make sure that uh, the door didn't slam or anything happened. So then, yeah, so to this day, she will, she, even if we went back to the house today, she'd be like, no, I'm not going in that room. <laughs> That's what I would do with Adam. I'd make him just make sure he was there with me if I had to be in that house. I'm sure you would. I would. <laughs> not going anywhere near that room. Christo, has there been any uh, houses that you've gone into for home inspecting that just really did not have that right vibe? Yeah, so 
there was this one that I inspected a couple of years back. It was somewhere way down in the middle of nowhere in Dakota County, south of Egan. Uh, it was an old farmstead. It was not working anymore, but it still had a lot of the old outbuildings and the farmhouse is what I was inspecting. And in the basement, I, I suspect they had somebody had a grow operation in there at some point because there was all these live wires hanging down from the ceiling, just not terminated, just hanging there live. Um, but there was no light in the basement and it was dusk. It was this time of year. Uh, so it was cold. And so down in the basement, there's absolutely zero light. I'm doing the whole inspection in the basement with flashlight. And at the bottom of the stairs, there's like a three foot walkway. And then there was just this pit that went down I don't know, five or six feet. And it was completely filled with water. And it wasn't round or anything like a cistern would be. It was this rectangular pit, like perfectly rectangular. And it just had a couple boards over it, completely filled with water. And so I'm in this dank, wet basement with all these live wires dangling from the ceiling. And you walk around the corner and there was a hole broken through the foundation into an earthen room on the other side. And I thought to myself, that's the zombie room right there. <laughs> that, that is the first house that I heard footsteps in upstairs. I wasn't expecting my client at this house. I heard footsteps and I thought, oh, the agent must be here. So I made my, made my way back around to go back upstairs and I walked up there and there wasn't anybody at the house, not anywhere. And did you just run away? <laughs> no, it was very hair raising. I forced myself to go back to the basement and finish it and tell them, <laughs> leave me alone the whole time I was there. No, the footsteps um, at our last house that we owned before this one, um, our youngest was two, around two at the time that we moved in. So is anyone of a parent of a two-year-old knows they get up and they run around a lot after you put them in bed. So we put them in bed, go downstairs, start to watch a show together. And then we'd hear th -th 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 down the hallway from upstairs. And one of us would draw the short straw and have to go put Jameson back to bed, except for the times when we'd hear the footsteps, we'd go upstairs and you can tell when your toddler's been sleeping for a while, they get little rosy cheeks or a little bit sweaty and you can flop any of their limbs and they don't flinch. <laughs> And there were times when we get back upstairs to put him back in bed and he wouldn't have been out of bed at all. But we heard footsteps going up and down the hallway enough to know that one of us had to go up there and put a kid back to sleep. And it got to the point eventually where sometimes we'd be sitting down at the dining room table at dinner with all four of us around the dining room table and we'd hear footsteps upstairs. And our dog was elderly and infirm and could not go up the stairs at all. So nobody was up there. Um, we know that the house, the people that owned the house previously, um, unfortunately lost one of their children to a, a heart condition when she was about nine years old. And the other part of the story is that I was sleeping, thank goodness, and my daughter Morgan, who was at the time nine years old, was laying in bed next to me, and she said that she saw this face just appear on the ceiling and swoop down across hers and then disappear into the wall above the bed, which goes into her bedroom, and that was the bedroom that the girls lived in previous to us owning the house. That was the girls' bedroom. So um, we just pieced this together this last year that she was the same age as the daughter had been when she passed. And I was like, oh, that makes it a little bit less terrifying. Maybe she was just looking for a friend to play with. So, um, but yeah, footsteps. A little bit less terrifying. <laughs> little bit. Just, just a little bit. <laughs> I was really glad I slept through that whole visual thing. Yeah. 
St. Kate's has a whole lot of stories, um, a lot of nuns. Um, that is, yeah. That's mostly what people say. There's a lot of energy in one particular um, building that now is only um, classrooms, I think, but it used to be a residence hall too. And what building? Um, it's called Whitby Hall. And it's, I, I lived there my junior year of college. And, you know, there were a lot of stories about people would go past the auditorium late at night and hear the piano playing and because um, the auditorium was in that building. Um, and I have friends that actually saw things. I never saw anything myself, but that's their story to tell. So, um, but, but I, the very first day that I moved into that, um, that dorm, I had a single that year. I was super lucky. I won the lottery and got a single room and it was tiny, but it was all mine. I didn't have to have a roommate. And um, I was moving all my stuff in and a, a friend of mine, two friends of mine were roommates just down the hall. And so I left my room and I went down to talk to them and I left my door open because the really old building, I mean, St. Kate's has been around since the 20s and uh, 1920s. And so, you know, it's an old building and um, there was a deadbolt on the door, but there was nothing on the doorknob, no kind of lock. Um, certainly nothing that would lock if it swung shut or something like that. So I just left the room as it was and I was just down the hall and I was talking with my friends in their room and then I went back to my room and the door was shut and locked. And I was like, wait a second, like, I, I and I, I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like my keys are inside the room. What am I supposed to do right now? And so I had to call, I went back to my friend's room and they were like, okay, that's weird, but let's call maintenance, I guess. And so I called maintenance and he was just arguing with me. Like, well, what do you mean you're locked out of your room? I'm like, my keys are inside and I'm outside and I can't get in. And he's like, well, okay, fine. And so he comes and he's unlocking the deadbolt and there's no other bolt on the door, just the deadbolt. He unlocks the deadbolt, opens the door and he's still kind of scoffing at me. And there are my keys hanging on a hook on the wall right inside the door. And he just looked at me and he's like, I don't know if you want to edit this out later. <laughs> he looked at me because the verbatim, he was like, that is some freaky shit. And I'm like, I <laughs> and I, I, I closed, he left and I closed the door. And I remember I just stood in the middle of the room. I'm like, okay, so let's come to a little understanding here. Like that wasn't cool, but I'm going to be living here this year. So, you know, and for the most part, it was a pretty quiet year after that. Um, I had a sink in the room. And at one point in the year, I came home from class and weird, like brown sludge had exploded out of the sink. It was all over my room, all over my bed, all over the oh, floor. Oh my God. <laughs> No rooms around me. They had sinks too. Nobody else had that happen. It was only mine. And then, um, and then right before winter break. So most people had left already to go home for Christmas and I was still there and I could not sleep. And I was like, 2 a.m. I had this urge. I'm like, I'm going to rearrange my furniture. So I'm like pushing furniture all around my dorm room and doing, you know, and then all of a sudden, like an old school, um, like a school bell, like one of those dome kind of bells that's on the wall and a little hammer hits it to like that kind of bell all of a sudden started going off in the hallway. And I was like, our fire alarms were the electronic kind. So that was not a noise. Like when we had a fire drill, that's not what it would sound like. It was like this old fashioned school bell kind of sound. And I was like, is that some kind of, like, should I be 
leaving? What's And so I opened the door and there's almost nobody else in the building at that point. And I opened the door and I stuck my head out and I looked down the hall and there was nobody and nobody else was poking their heads out. There was nothing. And I was like, I just feel like I'm not supposed to leave. And so I just closed the door and locked it and stayed put and the noise stopped. And I was like, all right, I think I can go to sleep now. And I asked people later and nobody had heard it. Even the people that were there that night, they hadn't heard the noise. Um, I did see that there was an old fire alarm like near the stairwell, but it was disconnected. So yeah, it was a, that's, those are my whippy tales. I saw that <laughs> happen on a paranormal investigation show where they had the exact same kind of bell that was disconnected and it went off. So yeah, it's possible so, clearly. So Kristen, <laughs> so Kristen, would you say again, rephrase the whole point of actually winning the lottery to get there? Yes, I know. It sounds, it sounds to me yeah. like uh, like you it lost left me the alone though. You know, except for the sludge. The sludge was a that was a downer. I think at that point I'd probably move. is a listener submission from Sean Holt, our very good friend who has done security at the Renaissance for quite some time. I was patrolling through Cartwheel Cove, which is down where our stage is, as a side note, and from about the stocks down to the Sherwood stage and up to Bear, it sounded as if someone was following at times. At other times, it sounded like people talking and softly laughing. I investigated everything I could think of down by the swamp, occupied buildings, unoccupied buildings, waiting around corners for someone to catch up to me, and there was nothing. I eventually gave up and lay down on the ground next to the kiln in the glass blower's booth to warm up for a bit. I suddenly looked up after laying there for a while and someone was standing there looking around trying to figure out where the footsteps and voices were coming from. I tried not to scare them, but ended up doing so to get their attention. <laughs> we verified what we were hearing experiencing together. Then we walked down through Cartwheel Cove and back up towards Bear Stage. The moment we stepped on Bear Stage, this is when the bear wasn't there for that one year, everything stopped. Almost as if the bear was a space of negative energy. Everything just stopped. Never heard and experienced anything like that again. So that's a bit creepy. Um, which actually leads into a good setup for another spooky on-site festival story that Chris and I have that's a little bit less terrifying and a little bit more possibly heartwarming or extra scary, depending on your view of the Fae. So do you want me to set this one up, Chris, or do you want to tell any of it? Sure. Well, I can do the beginning part. You can maybe fill in the middle. So... When Morgan was really little, um, we we camped out there with our kids. Well, we camp out there with our kids every year, but one year it was very particularly cold, and we had a heater up in our Vardo. So we actually went up there. There's a little bunk in there with a heater, and so we actually slept in the Vardo up by the stage because we had the heater, and we were able to stay warm because uh, it was one of those festival years where kind of like it is now, in October, we didn't quite have snow, but... You know, it was down in the 30s at night, so it was very cold in a tent. Um, and some sleeping bags only go so low, and trying to keep a toddler warm along with two adults, you know, in a tent is sometimes troubling. So we were at the stage at Gypsy, or, uh, sorry, 
at Sherwood stage, uh, camping out in the night. And I would say around two in the morning, we were both awake, as sometimes happens, and I could hear this tinkling music. Yeah, and I could hear. Yeah, I, I heard it too, and I didn't know if Chris was hearing it initially. It sounded like um, I actually looked up different instruments to see what it might sound like, and it, I think a glass harmonica sound is possibly the closest thing I was able to find. So it was like this cross between a music box sort of tinkling sound and I don't know we heard this this music and finally the two of us looked at each other and were like are you hearing this too and so we stood up and the um, door on our Vardo is a split door so we can just open the top without opening the whole door so we quietly stepped over, looked out the window first to make sure it wasn't, we couldn't see anybody. There was nobody moving down there. And like Chris said, it was two, three in the morning, 30 degrees out. So not really, not really prime time for someone to be out romping and frisking around after hours. Um, so we made sure we couldn't see anybody. And then we opened the door to see if we could hear it. And when we opened the door, it honestly sounded like the sound was coming from everywhere at once. And now is that what you recall, Chris? I thought it sounded more like it was coming from down in the wetland area. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it being out in the woods. But, yeah. Behind the stage, coming coming from behind the stage. But it was it was loud enough that we could hear it. I mean, yeah, and there was a, a very distinctive tune. I wish I could hum it back at this point in life, but I can't. But it was really like kind of this melancholy but beautiful tune that was playing. There was this very intense feeling of we were not supposed to leave the Vardo, that whatever was going on, we weren't invited to take part in. And so we should just close the door and go back to sleep and everything be fine. The, just to answer the people, because I've mentioned this story before and people are like, well, what if it was coming from Mystic Lake? It definitely was not music from Mystic Lake. <laughs> and then people will say, well, it was probably coming from the campground. And at that hour, if anyone had music loud enough that we could hear it at our stage, <laughs> they would be dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it wasn't coming, like Chris said, from the direction of any of the shops behind us. It was coming from out in the wilderness down in that direction. And we can see both the entrance and the exit to Fairwing Forest from Arvardo. So there was, there was no human movement around at that time at all. So my assumption, it was the fairy folk. And uh, does anybody else want to talk about any of the mood at our stage in general? About sometimes when the forest wants you there and sometimes when it doesn't? When it doesn't, it's a bitch and it throws acorns at you. <laughs> well, I can speak to that a little bit too, because I actually was on the stage years and years ago and then had a hiatus 
before Fondazi came on stage. I was there with Suleiman Circus once upon a time, uh, which is a, a Romani troupe from way back in the day. But somewhere in the middle of that, when I was in the street playing a street character, there was a night where I was on site as we were wont to do back in the day. A lot of people just would roam site and walk around and go from place to place and talk to people and hang out. And I had just kind of wanted some alone time and I was going down to the stage because it was a place that I always enjoyed and knew that I'd find some peace and quiet there. So walking from the bear stage down towards Sherwood stage, I made it to about the top of the hill. And just as you start to go down, there's that big tree there across from the steampunk shop. And it was, I, I remember it being like a full moon. It was very bright and nice out on site and it was just pitch black down at the stage. And I got to the tree and every hair on my body stood on end. And I had this, whoa, you are unwelcome feeling. And I could not take another step. I couldn't walk any further because there was just this palpable dread of come back in the morning and you're not welcome. And so I slowly backed up and said, fine, you, you can have your space. And I turned and walked away. In years past or since, we've done kind of a cleansing or, or not even a cleansing, more of a energy sharing with friends, blessing, just like we want to take part in, in this area. This is our home and just kind of integrated ourselves there. And since then, I have never felt that feeling again. I've always felt I'm welcome there. Um, and it's, I've never kind of been sent away. It's been a place of peace for me since. But that one time it was like, no, you don't get to come here. So that's, I've, I felt something very similar once. Um, and it was probably, I want to say about four years ago, the kids weren't really old, but they weren't young either. And we were closing up and it was towards the end of the run. It wasn't the last weekend, but Adam and I ended up being the last people really around there and closing up and, um, I remember packing Shane in the 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 car and Adam had it started and I forgot something. I don't remember what it was. I forgot something. So I ran back to get it. And it was as if the entire stage was just black. It was like this curtain of blackness. You just kind of started setting in and almost like pushing me out. I was afraid. I like grabbed whatever I needed to grab, made sure the Varda was locked and just ran because it was just the sea of black. Like, okay, this is our time. Your time is done. Get out. And we ran to the car and we left. Yeah, there are times where it, it gets, like Katie said, it just turns black and you don't see anything. The The shadows are very present and it's it's a very foreboding place at times. I think there's a lot of elemental energy in that particular area. It swirls. I mean, that is where all of the water on site rushes to. So there's a lot of odds and ends that are carried down in that direction. And I, I firmly believe that energy also flows and swirls that way. So it's like having weird corners in your house. You got to clean your corners and sweep them out now and then. And to make this episode complete, we have a very special guest, Jim Cunningham. Thank you for joining us. 
I am so happy to see you folks. I missed you terribly all festival long. So great to see you, even if it is uh, remotely like this. We missed you too. Yes. But, but we, we really need to ask quickly one question before we divide. We go into those spooky stories. Um, all who's your of favorite you. Fondazi? All of you. Oh. All of you. <laughs> Me. He was ahead of it. I know. Yeah. 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 I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love all of you equally. But you, but you, you love me just a little bit more, right? Just, just Katie, you know. Just, Why do we have to do this in front of the others? <laughs> yes. Just in front of Adam. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I love you all. I'm tickled to be here, you guys. I'm thrilled you have a podcast, and I'm I'm doubly, triply delighted that you thought to ask me to join it for a day. Well, thank, thank you. you. We feel honored to have you. So, Jim, the reason we asked you on the podcast today was because you do a little gig out at the festival called a Phantom Feast, correct? This is my eighth year hosting the Phantoms Feast. And um, when I took it over, I had been doing a show uh, called Hauntings or Do You Believe in Ghosts? I did that in the 90s. And it was all about um, spirit contact. So when I took the show over, I took parts of that show and sort of tailored them to uh, Bad Manor and the Renaissance Festival. Uh, And I told some, at that point, some generic stories Jack the Ripper, uh, a story about Houdini. Um, And then in the second year of that show, right before we were going to start to do the show, Festival was contacted by the Dakota County Paranormal Society. And they asked them if Festival would be interested in having a a paranormal investigation of Bad Manor and some of the grounds of the festival. And Festival reached out to me and said, you know, we're iffy on this. What do you think? And I said, you know, if they would allow people to stick around from the audience after the show and experience a, a you know, paranormal investigation, I think that'd be great. And they said, we could maybe have six people stay. And so six people stayed and they set up, uh, you know, all of those EVP and infrared cameras. And in the meantime, they had uh, uh, like a dowsing rod, the psychic used dowsing rods that she, you know, put on the table and they would cross like this for yes and uncross for no and they found three different spirits um that are kind of focal pointed or located in bad manner the ghost of a uh, a little girl and even though it's a little girl they think it's the oldest ghost on the festival grounds um then they found a farmer and a, i'm gesturing as to where they are in the room so if i'm if i'm on the, uh, the far end of bad manner uh, kind of the back end, not where you would come in to do your act and into the center, but this end of it, and the band is up here above me, right? So up in this corner is the little girl. She's on the second level. And over here, uh, uh, kind of at a table, uh, was a, um, a soldier and a farmer. Uh, and then up above in the attic dressing room, above where the brass band plays was the third ghost. But the psychic, immediately when she walked into the room, we were all behind her and she said, no, 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 no. We can't go in here. This, this is, it's too intense. And it's even, it's too, it doesn't want us here. And I, I mean, you, you mean to say the word malevolent. We were all like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Let's go downstairs. <laughs> so we went back downstairs and, uh, and those were the three ghosts that they found. And then every year after that, I have invited paranormal investigators and psychics to join the show after the show. And we take a little 
ghost walk around the festival grounds. And so I don't know if you guys have heard of a, uh, a psychic medium in the, in Minnesota called Echo Bodine. I don't know if that name rings a bell or not, but she's probably, you know, the psychic medium in the Twin Cities. And uh, she's a friend of mine, and I called her up, and she said, yeah, I'd love to. And she came out, and she said uh, during her portion of the program, I definitely sense three very strong presences here uh, in Bad Manor, but way more than that on the festival grounds. They're everywhere. They're in this room tonight. They're hanging from the balcony. They're on the main floor. They are absolutely fascinated by you. You're, they're thrilled that they're interested in you. And it turns out, according to Echo, at least, that, uh, you know, the sand that's, that we're standing on all festival long in the ground is, is silica sand. That's why they were fracking. It wanted it for fracking. And silica contains, you know, microscopic little teeny crystal balls. That's what, it's, that's what makes it functional. And her theory is that that crystal has been filled with the energy of 300,000 people coming through there every fall for 50 years. And it's like a huge beacon in the night, she said, that draws these creatures of the night to the festival because there's all this trapped energy there that they can feed off of. And she was, when I talked to her this year, she was interested to see what would happen because this would be the first year in 50 that 300,000 people didn't walk over that land. And she wondered if the ghosts were going to be particularly hungry or active because they had had nothing to stimulate them like normal. So it's been interesting to be out there, to say the least. Has there been any change this year that you uh, feel as you're out there? You know, I have not noticed a big, you know, increase in, uh, pardon me, won't you? Because yeah. my golden retrieve, come here. Come oh, here. baby. You want to say hi to the <laughs> we, people? We want to say hi to the baby. I'll see if he'll, yeah, there he is. <gasps> oh, hi, Woody. Oh, hi, Woody. Yeah, oh, he's a really you. good guy, but... <laughs> He may, he may want to go outside only because I happen to be sitting here. Normally yep. he could care less about going outside, but he thinks while I'm here, it's a good time to go. Uh, I have not really noticed a, a, a significant increase. We've only done two shows uh, so far this year. We've got four this coming week and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday into Halloween. So we'll actually be doing a, a, a matinee on Halloween and a Halloween night show. Uh, and maybe we'll see an increase in activity as a, as the run goes on. But uh, certainly uh, there have been, even in the two days that we were out there, Scotty Roberts, who was a longtime festival performer and has now got his own podcast like yours, but is also an author of, uh, uh, of paranormal books and books on uh, giants in the Bible and uh, extraterrestrial contact. Um, is one of the spirit investigators that uh, usually comes out and helps me. And he was there on Friday night and uh, we had, he brings a little spirit box. I don't know if you know what that oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And so we went to, we usually go to three sites, the pavilion stage. And then uh, we go to the Irish cottage. We stop at the green man on you know the green man thing and then end at the bakery stage because those have been three very active spots in the past and Jim, uh and so ever, have you ever gone down to the gypsy stage um you know we only once did we venture that far and it's if you guys haven't been out there 
there now there's all of these how the traffic flow for the drive-through worked. So now there's all these cords everywhere, and if you don't know exactly where you're going, uh, you'll you'll end up falling over them. And so I didn't want to take an audience down there, but we did go down there once, uh, and it was pretty spooky. Although uh, it, mostly just because we had never been there. The other places that we've been. I, do you guys know the story about the pavilion stage? We would love to hear your story about the pavilion stage. Um, so this is a story that was related to me by Jacques, if you know uh, uh, Jacques. He and a couple other people as well, Tanya Brody and um, uh, and Dana Jean. Uh, this goes back to the um, mid-'80s, and there were some uh, young pagans in the, our campground, members of our cast, who um, cast a circle and were fooling around with uh, a book of summonings, and they summoned something, uh, and they couldn't control it, and they broke the circle and ran, and the thing uh, was kind of in the campground, and they went and got Jock and he and some other pagans with a little more experience chased it, forced it up onto the grounds, trying to get rid of it. And even they couldn't uh, banish it. And so they have trapped it at the pavilion stage. And all kinds of people have talked about seeing on the second level of the pavilion stage, uh, a cloaked figure up there or red eyes. There was a story about a, a security guard uh, during a festival uh, Saturday making his 2 a.m. rounds and seeing somebody up on the second level of the pavilion and going over there and saying, come down right now. If you come down right now, you can go back down to the campground. You won't get in any trouble. But if you make me come up there, then there's going to be trouble. Mm -hmm. No response. So he climbed the ladder up to the second floor and there was nobody there. And then he heard footsteps running towards him. And he felt something pass right through me at a bottle of patchouli in his pocket, like like we all do, right? <laughs> right. And the patchouli shattered. Uh, and, and that's just one of the many stories. So we always go to the pavilion in the hopes that we're going to have some sort of encounter. And we've had some weird stuff happen. We heard um, on Saturday night, we heard kind of um, uh, like a knocking sound. Um, Echo's brother Michael is also a Ghostbuster and he was out there a couple of years ago and um, he was calling on this entity and all of a sudden like a I, I, I'm going to say like a four by five piece of plywood from who knows where fell just while we were there and made just an incredible racket and all of us you know jumped through our skin uh, and Michael wanted to charge right over there. I'm going to go over there and find out where this ghost is and give him a piece of my mind. I said, no, please don't do that. Please don't make it angry. So, uh, so, we have and, to live here. Yeah, I'm, and this is where I work. Uh, and um, maybe the, the best story for me, um, we, had, we haven't done a Halloween night show in a while. Just because of the way the calendar, you know, lines up, if the if Halloween is on a Monday, obviously I'm not doing a show. And uh, but uh, maybe I don't know, five years ago, let's say Halloween landed on a, a Friday or a Saturday, 
And so we did a, a two shows on Halloween and we, after the nine o'clock show, which meant we started the ghost hunt about 11, um, the ghost hunters, me and a large portion of our audience uh, are on this ghost hunt and it's going pretty well. We're getting some uh, hits on the spirit box and we decide we're going to go down to the legend stage, which we typically don't do. Uh, and we went down to the legend stage and Scotty was there uh, who knows me and knows the festival and Joe Kudla, who played snot for all those years um, was gone maybe five years by that point. And um, I knew Joe and liked Joe and I think Joe liked me, or at least we were friends like you are. And uh, we were standing on this stage at midnight on Halloween night. And uh, Scotty said, uh, you know, if there's anybody here, uh, who uh, who knows us, who's friends with us, Joe or Lee Walker. Lee probably predates you, but uh, Lee was an entertainment director when I first started there, and we became very good friends. He played my father in Tony and Tina's wedding, and we did a lot of on-camera work together, so we were pretty good friends. He had also been gone for a while by that point. Anyway, here we are on the legend stage, midnight on Halloween, and Scotty says, you know, if there's anybody here uh, from an old festival cast, Joe, Lee, anybody, say say hello to us. And about 20 seconds later, as clear as a bell, the entire audience and I heard it, the spirit box said, hey, Jimmy, just <laughs> wow. like that. Just as clear as a bell. I get the goosebumps even just telling that story. Uh, nice. It was a just a real spooky, wonderful, crazy thing. The other night, one of the ghosts, when we got to the bakery stage, uh, we had not had a whole lot of interaction at that point. But when we got there, Scotty said uh, to the ghost, if you, you know, if you know, do you know this guy here? The guy who's leading the show? And, He's in the hat. Do you know this guy? And the box said, he's a jackass. <laughs> so, so just as clear as a bell. I mean, we all heard it. It wasn't, there was no question as to what it was saying or it, it's it, so it's very active out there. It's, it is a spooky, fun place. And at the same time, like all that spirit energy, I think contributes to the magic that is out at festival. Yeah. I, Adam, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that that when Echo said, that the crystals in the ground store the energy I, that resonated with me right away because I, 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 you can feel the energy. And that's one of the other things that my friend Echo said was in addition to sort of human spirits that are here for many, many reasons, uh, former performers, but going way back farther than that, uh, she talked about elemental spirits and yes. spirits of of fairies, just like you're talking about, that the land. And Scotty mentioned something the other night that I, I, as soon as he said it, I went, duh, why did I never see that before? Uh, that we're essentially in a huge oak grove out there, that all of the trees, it's like one big oak grove that we've stuck our little village right in the middle of this thing. And there's and, flowing uh, water running right past there, too. I mean, it's right, like just exactly. a perfect little engine to create yeah. that energy. It's magic. Uh, I hope we never have to leave. I fully, completely, and utterly believe all of that stuff about our festival. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be out there for, uh, you know, 30 years or 40 years like, like I have to know that there's some magic in that, uh, that land out there. And uh, it is alive and 
kicking and that's why it hurts so much to see them rip through that parking lot and rip up that land so much it just I just bleed thinking about it and If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, pop on over to Patreon and look for Fondazi Fire. If you have any questions or show ideas for us in the future, anything you want to know, then email us at fondazi at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to Fondazi Fire Presents What Do You Want on your favorite podcast platform. Mm -hmm.